Today's scriptures come from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. The book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. If you are visiting, want to read along, you'll find it on page 961 in your pew Bible. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to summon Peter and the other disciples when Jesus, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciples, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And, and he stooped down and looking in and saw that the linen cloths were laying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw that the linen cloth was lying there. And the handkerchief that he had been around his head not lying in the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. For as they did not know that the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away and again to their own homes. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're our guest this morning, we welcome you again. Uh, it encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is exciting to think of the opportunities God is placing before us now and over the next few weeks with a team of 11 in Ukraine and the great good that can be done there and encouraging Christians that uh, live there as well as trying to reach out to those in that area. And then to think that just eight days from now begins our Vacation Bible School. And the challenge that we have uh, to touch the lives of children, the wonderful opportunity we have to show them God's people and those are the heroes that they ought to have in their life. Make sure that you're taking advantage of all the opportunities God gives. Make sure you're doing everything that you can do to make the Vacation Bible School the greatest success they can be. Now's the time to be inviting. Now's the time to be praying about who you're inviting. Now's the time to be offering rides and whatever encouragement that we can for individuals to be a part of it. How many times have we heard this statement, ignorance is bliss? Isn't it interesting that ignorance isn't, so blissful when it's so obvious before our eyes. Lauren Caitlin Upton was in a Miss Teen USA pageant from South Carolina, and she was put on the spot, as all of them are. She came down to the six finalists, and she was asked a question. And the question said, Recent polls have shown that a fifth of Americans cannot locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? And her answer was, I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, 
Some people out there in our nation don't have maps. I believe that our education, like such as South Africa and Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our children. Needless to say, she didn't win. But five million people have already viewed that YouTube site. Now, I'd like to come to her defense just a little bit. Uh, For her age, and to be put on a national spotlight of impromptu speaking is very difficult. It is so easy to lose your train of thought or to start down a path when you're speaking and then not know exactly how to reverse this pathway of ignorance. I'm not trying to pick on her. I'm simply making a point by this one example in her life, and that is she began answering a question that she had no idea how she was going to answer it. And so as she headed down that path, the ignorance became very, very obvious. Friends, how many of us live our life that way? Where we live a life where we start down a life living out ignorance. And instead of saying, wait a minute, let me stop. Let me back up and let me get things straight. Let me gather knowledge so that I can live a right way. I want to challenge your thinking for just a moment. When, when even though we oftentimes lightly say ignorance is bliss... Do you really believe that? You know, I doubt any of us would prefer to get in a taxi cab with a driver that's ignorant or a pilot or a captain of a cruise ship. How many of us say, oh, I love ignorance in those areas. That's blissful. How many of us wish that that described our attorney, our broker, our banker, our surgeon, our pharmacist? Isn't it interesting that the truth is We really don't admire ignorance anywhere unless it's in favor of what we want to do. Have you noticed that in our society, oftentimes when people speak of ignorant being blissful, what they're saying is there's moral dilemma here. There's something that's wrong, but the truth is I want to do it. So I'm going to say ignorance is bliss. There's a spiritual issue here, and and the truth is it condemns what I want to be and what I want to do. So I'm going to shrug my shoulders, and I'm going to say ignorance is bliss. We've just had capably read for us a beautiful text about a Sunday morning where Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. As you noticed in verse 1, Mary Magdalene went down very early. And when she got there, she found in verse 1 that the stone was rolled away. She ran back to Peter and to John and to some of the other disciples. And I'd like for you to notice again, verse 2, what she said to them. When you look at verse 2, she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. What do ignorance do? Well, ignorance will do a lot of things. And so this morning, let's just point out just one thing that ignorance will do. Ignorance will lead us to false accusations. Do you realize that what she said in verse 2 just simply is not true? They have taken his body. Now, who, who is the they? She's probably blaming the chief priests and the Pharisees, thinking that they were the ones that had Jesus crucified, and so therefore they surely are to blame in this incident also. 
maybe when she spoke of the day, she was thinking about Pilate and all those that would fall under his control. Nevertheless, the fact is, she did not gather her information before she started making accusations against people. I think oftentimes that's easy for us to do whenever someone has already heard us previously. Again, I'm not trying to justify wrong. I'm simply saying, if you were Mary, if I were Mary, I would be very tempted to do the same thing she did. If I just watched individuals a few days prior crucify an innocent man, it would be very easy for me to believe that they also would steal his corpse. You see the principle here. Get beyond the details for just a moment. The principle is, our human nature is, if you've hurt me in the past and that's legitimate, that gives me perfectly good reason to now assume that everything that happens in my life, some way you're tied to it. Friends, we become in bondage to people that are our enemies whenever we start thinking that way. It's kind of like the teacher that that has a troublemaker in the class and the teacher just takes on an attitude, well, anything that happens in this class that I don't know who's guilty of it, I'm just going to blame the troublemaker. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you willing to say this morning that you're going to stop that logic that's really not logical at all? You're going to stop that mindset that says, I'm going to be real quick to try to find blame and cast it upon people. Instead, I want to always wait and gather all the facts and then seek to do good with those facts. When we think about the Ten Commandments, and if you will be turning back with me to Proverbs, the sixth chapter. In Proverbs, uh, well, actually, we'll go to the seventh chapter. As, as you're turning there, I'd like for you to think with me uh, as you're turning there to the Ten Commandments. You remember the ninth of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and 16? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then in Proverbs, the 20th chapter, verse 19, he talks about talebearers reveal secrets. Therefore, do not associate with others who flatter with their lips. You see, this idea of, of bearing false witness, now many times in the Old Covenant, it seemed very calculated. In other words, someone says, wait a minute, David, that wasn't ignorance why they were doing that. They knew what they were doing. No, it was ignorance in the standpoint of believing what they were doing was the way to live. Just like in a moment, we're going to make the, the point that, is it wise to gossip? I could probably go around the room right now if this is a class situation, and then every one of us here would say, it's not wise to gossip. But yet then the question is, why do we gossip sometimes? In that particular instant, we have convinced ourselves, this is the best thing for me to do right now. Why do we believe lies? That reveals ignorance. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, it reveals ignorance. And so... When we look here about the teachings in Proverbs, the seventh chapter, I'd like for you to to look with me at how he gives us the teaching. uh, And I'm sorry, Proverbs 6. I'm going to get this right eventually. The sixth chapter in verse 17. We're going to get to the seventh chapter in a moment. Look at the the, uh, sixth chapter in verse 17. We see in verse 16, there's six things the Lord hates. Seven are abomination to him. Now notice these and think about how they relate to the tongue and accusations. A proud look. Pride will often lead us to think we know everything, we can blame other people. Second, a lying tongue. Oftentimes what we say just simply isn't true. 
It's so important to to take the time to realize that almost every story, there's at least two sides and oftentimes three sides. One side, another side, and the truth. And then we have hands that shed innocent blood. We looked at that last week. 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. That's what oftentimes gossip is all about, is trying to destroy or hurt someone. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Now look at 19, a false witness who speaks lies. You see, there he is speaking about those that would say things about others. Now, notice the the conclusion here of the seventh thing. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Friends, when we think about God's character, God, what is it that you hate? What is it that you despise? And we see that he hates when we do not care about what the truth is. I'll tell it. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. He hates when we don't care whether or not it's good. In other words, are we about to tell something? I need to ask myself, is it true? Not that alone, though. Number two, I'm about to tell something. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Is it going to do good? You see here as he lists the seven things he hates, he wants to know, do we love it when our feet devise wicked plans? Are we taking the truth and use it in a wicked way? And then number three, we see the fact of, is it useful? When we think about useful, we think about the unity of the church and the good that is done when God's people love each other and serve God together and worship together in unity. We can't worship together in unity if we're sowing discord with each other through the week. And so it is. We think about false accusations. We need to be careful. And we need to make sure that we do not speak unless what we're about to speak about is true, good, and helpful. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment. You know the game we played when we were children? Pin the tail on the donkey? I'd like for you to think about maybe your last couple of weeks, last month of your life. I'd like you to think about someone that maybe has offended you or someone that has hurt you. I'd like for you to imagine their picture on a wall. And then everything that you have said is written on a post-it note signed by you. And it's pinned to their portrait. Are you proud of that? Are you proud that that statement is associated with your name about that person? And by the way, let's put those portraits in the foyer so that people can walk by and see really what you think of them and see really that you're not out for their good at all and that you don't love the church and that unity to you is nothing. That sowing discord is a much greater priority. You know, it's something about when in our mind we start seeing something in writing that we start to draw back and say, wait, wait, I I don't want to put that in writing. Friends, our responsibility to deal wisely with knowledge is just as true verbally as it is in writing. Well, what does the Lord want us to do? Does that mean we never say anything? We never do anything? We, we become punching bags? We, if, if someone is in wrong, we just turn the other way and ignore it? What, what are we supposed to do then? In other words, do we have no responsibility? 
Absolutely we have responsibility. Look with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew, the 18th chapter, the way Jesus addresses offenses, he forces us to deal with the truth. Now, as we deal with the truth, think about how he says this in Matthew, the 18th chapter. If you will, begin reading with me in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, just don't say anything and you're righteous. Notice, that's not the teaching. Learn how to button your lip. Learn how to take it and and not do anything. That's not the teaching. We have a responsibility that's greater than that. It's not just do not gossip. It's do you love them? Do you care for their soul? Do you love unity? Then you have a responsibility. Here it is. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, the rest of this passage is very important. But I would like for us, for time's sake this morning, to dwell especially on this part of the passage right now. So what do we do? There's an offense. There's someone who is blacking the eye of Jesus by the way they're living. There's someone that has has said something or done something against you. What are we supposed to do? Well, you know, the first thing we do is, is we go and we tell some of our best friends about it. That's not what Jesus said. Well, I'll tell you what, the first thing you do is you go and talk to the elders about it. You couldn't be wrong if you went and talked to the elders, could you? What's the first thing? When we believe that we've been wrong, there ought to be nobody else in the world that knows it. Nobody else in the world should know it. Until we go to us and that individual alone. What does that do? That helps us gather facts. Maybe we only know half the story. You see, if we get the whole truth, we then are much better armed, if you will, much better equipped to handle the situation at hand. Well, why would we go? Remember Galatians 6.1? If a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, go to that one to restore them. And we do so in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Do you remember that passage in Matthew, the seventh chapter? It's the first five verses that it's one of the best known. Verse one is one of the best known verses. It, I guess, is starting to take over John 3 and 16. Uh, I had somebody ask me the other day, why is it that sporting events, people hold up John 3 and 16? Well, that's interesting that people love that wonderful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you know, if you ask people which verse they know the best, most people today in the world know the verse best about In their perception, it says, don't judge me. It's Matthew 7 and 1. That's not the teaching at all. If you study the first five verses, he's teaching you must judge each other. But he says, don't go and judge as a hypocrite. He says, first, you remove the plank out of your eye so you can see carefully, verse 5, how to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, the teaching is we have a great responsibility to help individuals and to help each other with our daily Christian life. But that responsibility does not begin by going around only knowing half the truth and making false accusations against others, being a talebearer against others. But instead, it begins with us going to that individual. And notice again here in verse 15. You go and tell him his fault between you 
and him alone. Now, as we read the following verses, we see that the rest of that verse, if he hears us, we've gained a brother. In other words, now we're no longer away uh, from the, the separation that was separating us is no longer there. But some aren't going to do that. Well, what does he say to do next in 16? We take one or two more with us. Maybe you do want to go to the elders at that point. Maybe that's a good time to go to one or two elders and ask them to go and to sit down and and to talk with that individual again. And then if that doesn't accomplish the need uh, or the act of repentance, then you take it to the church. And, And if that individual at that point doesn't repent, everyone treats them as if they are a heathen. Now notice it's in that setting that we have verse 20. It's probably one of the most often verses taken out of context also. And that is for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. You know, that's the verse we like to pull out for why we don't go to Sunday evening worship service because after all, two or three of us are gathered in the Lord's name and he's in the midst of us and that's not at all what that verse is teaching. The Lord's in the midst of us right now all the time. He's talking about we have God's favor. In other words, it takes a lot of courage to be able to confront someone and say, I'm concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about what you have done that has hurt me. And I want to sit down and talk with you. Someone says, I don't know if I have enough courage to do that. Oh, yes, you do, because it's not you alone. It's you and God doing that. Wherever two or three are gathered to find spiritual, righteous resolutions, God's blessing that situation. You know what scares me? I'm starting on these toes right here and working around. What scares me to death is what if God right now could speak and say out of everybody in this room, let me tell you how often that's happened in the last four months. Are we never offended? Do we never see sin? Or have we convinced ourselves that ignorance is bliss? I know what God says on this, but let me tell you, it's not worth it to get people mad at me. Oh, so we believe our loyalty to others is greater than our loyalty to God. But you know what that's also saying? Deep-rooted what that also is saying, God, I don't trust you. I know you've given a way of resolution, but I don't trust you that it'll work. Here's my way, Lord. I gossip to some of my best friends about it, and then if it's serious enough, I pull one of the elders aside and I say, you need to go and do something. And that's when the elder needs to look at you and say, no, you need to, and now I have a responsibility to hold you accountable for it, so I'll be checking back with you in a week or two because now the elder has responsibility to come to you just like Matthew 18 says. I know God doesn't lie. And I know whatever seeds we sow, we shall reap. And I don't know exactly what the harvest will be for a generation that refuses to confront each other. But our children are going to see it. Because we're living in a day and age where most Christians have chosen to disobey Matthew 18. I beg you, 
for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our church family, it's best. It's right. It is what produces close relationships. When you love someone enough that you can come together in their presence face to face without violating confidentiality with anybody else to say, I love you enough to come to you. Do you remember we already mentioned Galatians 6 and 1? About loving someone enough to go with them, to restore them, considering ourselves so that we'll go in the spirit of meekness. Do you know what verse 2 is? Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul teaches in Galatians, it's going to be hard to do. And when you go because you truly want to restore someone, and notice you're not going so you can throw rocks at them. You're going so that you can restore them. And if we truly go with a desire to restore them, what we're going to find out is that they're going to have some needs that they're probably going to need someone to shoulder up underneath their load and they're going to need support to make that return back to the Lord. And so now the question is, not only number one, can I go for their soul's sake, but number two, am I willing to bear the burden to help them get back? Surely God's way is best. Surely God's way will prosper us all. Time's up. That's the first half of the sermon. We'll have to finish the last half some other time. Let me mention to you something as we extend the invitation. I'd like for you, if you'd go back to John, the 20th chapter. In John, the 20th chapter in verse 8, I'd like for you to notice there that when Peter and John ran into the tomb, there were other disciples who came to the tomb first and went in also, and he saw and believed. That the other disciple was John there. Look in verse 9. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Isn't that interesting there that says he did not, they did not know the scripture? They had ears, but they did not hear. Because Mark the 8th chapter and 31, Mark the 9th chapter and 31, and Mark the 10th chapter and verse 33 gives us three accounts where Jesus told them where he was going to be crucified, who was going to crucify him, when it was going to happen, and on the third day that he would raise again. You see the teaching? He told them ahead of time everything that was going to happen. And now, after he's crucified, just like he said it was going to happen, he told them when it was going to happen, who was going to do it, the whole works, where it was going to happen, they still didn't believe that he was going to be resurrected. So they went to the tomb doubtful. They went to the tomb still not believing it until they saw the resurrection. You know, as I study that this week, it makes me appreciate in a brand new light 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. The whole chapter is a chapter on the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and verse 12, think about the hopelessness of these individuals when he says, Now if Christ has preached that he is raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How do people get to the point that they don't believe in a resurrected Lord? The same way the apostles were to the point they didn't believe in the resurrected Lord. Ignorance is bliss. God told it was going to happen and for whatever reason, they simply didn't believe it. Finally, when they saw the resurrected Lord, when they could see His prince, when they could see His side, they started believing, but yet Jesus 
rebuked them in that and said that they ought to believe before that. Later in that same John, the 20th chapter. This morning, you realize how dangerous ignorance is? Ignorance will divide a church wide open. Ignorance will cause people to not believe that there is a resurrected Lord. Ignorance will lead to all kind of false teachings and even immorality. This morning, let's have a genuine desire to not be ignorant. A genuine desire to say, Lord, not only do I want to learn what you have, but I want to live it. I want to believe that it is the best way to live. This morning, let's renew our commitment, our energy. Say to the Lord, I'll trust you. I'll follow every command you give. If you haven't become a Christian, we would invite you to do that today. We would love to assist you in any way that we can. If you have further questions, we'd love to study with you. If you're a believer, we're ready to repent of sins and confess before men that Jesus is the Son of God. We'd love to baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. Maybe you've been baptized and somewhere along the way you've lost the way. Maybe you've acted in things that you know you shouldn't have done but acted out of a chosen ignorance. Whatever it is... There's not anybody here perfect, but we all can be forgiven. Let's righteously, righteously live our life for the Lord. If we can help you in any way.